Praise God. Please take your Bibles and, well, uh, we're going to go to quite a few scriptures, but I want you to start at 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, and the name of this message is called Knowing the Holy Spirit as God. Knowing the Holy Spirit as God. And it blows me away as to how many Christians don't really understand just the orthodox biblical worldview of the Godhead, who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's partially the fault of Christian leaders that we need to make sure we're teaching uh, the, the, the Word of God. Amen? But all of us believers have responsibility to know the Scripture. Amen? It says the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, because the Bereans, it says, they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. When he was sharing the Gospel with them, when he was sharing Jesus as the Yeshua HaMashiach, the Old Testament Messiah, uh, they were not, you know, like, okay, well, we're just going to reject what you're saying. Does, just doesn't sound right. Or we're just going to accept it, you know. Uh, they were searching the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. And we want to make sure that we are biblicists, amen? amen? We don't call ourselves Arminians. We don't call ourselves Calvinists. We call ourselves Christians. And, well, what kind of Christians are you? Well, born again. Well, aren't all Christians born again? Well, many people claim to be Christians, but they're not born again. And we're blood-bought. Many people reject what Jesus did on the cross. They claim to be Christians, but they deny that he died in their place and took their punishment for them. And we've, we say we're spirit-filled, but we're also biblicists. What saith the scripture, amen? And we test everything, including whatever's said from this pulpit, especially what's said from this pulpit, because you go to this fellowship, so you need to make sure everything I'm saying is, is scripture, amen? And when it's scripture, say praise God. Amen. But at the same time, you've got to test everything. Hold fast to that, which is good. Because there's a lot of strange things going around today. And look at the warning we have in 2 Corinthians. And it's very, very powerful warning that we dare not. Uh, and I just, I say this because right now there's a lot of people misled about who the Holy Spirit is. And in 2 Corinthians 11, when we read this passage, a lot of time we think about the different gospel. The Bible warns of believing in a different gospel, which is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible warns about receiving a different Jesus. And there are all kinds of different Jesuses. There's a Mormon Jesus where Jesus is just, you know, the spirit brother of Lucifer. There is the Jehovah's Witness Jesus where he's not the creator of all things uh, uh, and eternally God from forever past. But he is simply, you know, a, the Archangel Michael. Or the Islamic Jesus, where he's not the son of God who died for our sins, but he's just a prophet. And Muhammad is supposedly the greatest of the prophets. He's not even the greatest prophet. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. But we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says in verse 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betroth you, that is, engage them or betroth you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. The metaphor of marriage is used in the church. The millions of people that make up the church are the bride of Christ. And he says, I'm concerned. I'm afraid, verse 3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Wow. What's the specific deceptions that Paul's concerned that the Corinthian church may be led into? Verse 4, he identifies these three deceptions. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, 
which the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, and many, other, many of the cults are preaching, or you receive a different spirit. See, now we always focus on the different Jesus, but the Bible also warns about a different what? A different spirit. Which you have not received, or a different gospel. Now we often focus on a different gospel, amen? Uh, the Mormons, my heart breaks for Mormons when they come to your door, these young guys, and it says elders, and they're not very elderly at all, you know? Uh, and, you know, they stopped coming to my door a long time ago, along with the Jehovah's Witnesses. So from time to time now, if I see them driving around or walking around or riding around, sometimes I'll, you know, try to pull them over to chat because I'm sad that they don't come visit me anymore, you know. But uh, true story, you know. And uh, it's, it's crazy because we know the, Job, the Mormons, they'll come and they even have a book called the Book of Mormon. It says another gospel of Jesus Christ or a different gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a different gospel. And Paul said in Galatians chapter one, if we or an angel from heaven comes around preaching another gospel to you than that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. And Paul was concerned about the church of Galatia. You remember Judaizers, Jews came in that claimed to be believers in Christ, but believed that you had to keep the law of Moses to be saved. They're teaching you have to be circumcised. Read it in the book of Galatians. You've got to be circumcised, you know, and keep the, the, the law of Moses to be right with God. And Paul said, I'm, I, 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 I'm, you know, I marvel that you're so quickly being removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is really not another gospel. Even if angel preached another one, let, like then we preach you, let him be eternally condemned. That's heavy. Now, it's interesting because he also mentions a different spirit here. And we talk usually about a different gospel a different Jesus but there's also a different spirit and what kind of angel would come and preach a different gospel I mean, we know Mormons claim Moroni came and preached a gospel to a different gospel oh it's really the same one we just call it a different gospel because it's another edition you know ah really and we know Gabriel wasn't the Gabriel of the Bible Muhammad said Gabriel an angel came and preached to him the gospel he calls it they call it the gospel but they deny that Jesus is the son of God and he died for our sins. Is that the gospel? No. That's a different gospel. What kind of angels do that? Well, jump down, go down a few verses. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as a what? Angel of light. So Satan comes as angel of light. Angel of enlightenment has knowledge you know and the bible says that god makes his angels ministering spirits the bible tells us that there has been a rebellion a cosmic rebellion satan and his angels rebelled with him and a third of the angels at least we know it's even more than a third because if you read the book of jude it's only one chapter if you want to call it a chapter and you read second peter chapter two many of these angels have already been locked up in what is called they, they use the Greek word Tartarus because that was known as a, a prison in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter, I should say, uses that word. Uh, and they were, they're already bound, some of them. But there's a third of them that are still rebellion to God. And we know that from Revelation chapter 12. Remember? If he drew a third of the stars with him, and there's, I don't have time to get into it, but some are saying, well, that's not necessarily angels there. No, it's angels. Just keep reading a few more verses. And it says, then Satan's angels made war with God, with uh, you know, Michael and his angels and so forth. They're those fallen stars, the, thirds, the stars represent fallen angels. 
And those third, that's still, now Satan has access still to heaven, but through a time when he will no longer have access. And it says, woe to the earth because he's been cast down to you. Now he just comes out and he's going to have great anger at that time during the tribulation period. Now, he makes his angels ministering spirits. Now, I was one of those guys that was just believed in the natural world only, you know, even though I knew there was something bigger than what was around me. I knew that intuitively. I didn't want it to be God, though. I wanted to be some impersonal force, you know. That way, you could be your own God when I was a teenager, you know. And when I went into rebellion against God and started doing my own things without going into details in my testimony, I opened myself up to the demonic world, which I didn't believe existed. I didn't believe there was evil in the spiritual world. Didn't even understand for sure what the spiritual world even was, and if there was one, because I was agnostic slash partial atheist. I knew deep down. I think every atheist believes deep down because it says they're suppressing the truth. They're just holding it down because they don't want to recognize God. But in my rebellion, I opened myself up to that demonic world. Covers being pulled down. Remember we sideways in my bed, sliding down the bed, you know, like the exorcist kind of stuff, you know? And, I, and then I was, didn't even know what that was because I still didn't want to believe in the devil and stuff. And then it became really obvious that, wow, I opened myself up to evil spirits that are channeling lyrics through me and all kinds of giving me, giving me music and stuff, you know, all kinds of stuff, stuff I show people that I can't even write to this day. I wouldn't want to try to write that kind of stuff today. But uh, Satan became, is very real. There's a real war, but he masquerades himself as an angel of light, an angel of enlightenment. Well, what are his tactics? Well, he, he gives us, Paul lets us know. I'm concerned, he says, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. And by the way, Satan is called the old serpent in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, along with Satan, the devil, and the, the, the great dragon. Four titles there in Revelation 12, 9. He says very clearly, uh, you know, Paul, as a serpent deceived Eve through his craftiness, that your minds might be corrupted. We know the lies Satan used. They're the same lies he uses today. Amen. I was being uh, interviewed uh, yesterday on uh, uh, Really Neat Brothers uh, podcast. He had two podcasts now. And uh, we've been doing a lot of interviews lately, TV and radio, and it, for a while now. And it's like, and when, I, the guy, when the gentleman closed the show, his name's Robert, Really Neat Brother. He's a pastor too. And when he closed the sh- his, his podcast, he said, Satan, who is the same yesterday, today. And I'm like, I'm thinking, what's he saying? And he says, but not forever. <laughs> he says, Jesus, same yesterday, today, and forever, right? I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. He's saying Satan is the same yesterday, today, but not forever. In other words, he used the same tricks he used in the beginning. I thought that's interesting because we believe that. That's, the first deceptions were to doubt, to get Eve to doubt God's word and his authority over her. Hath God said? That's what happens in the New Age movement today in the occult. You know, uh, oh, the Bible's got some good things in it, but you know, oh, you can't really trust it. It's fully the word of God, hath God said. And then uh, it was through occult knowledge that you can grow and become divine. Eve, if you eat, you shall be as God. What's the big lie? What's the biggest religion in Hollywood? It's the New Age movement. And they believe that we are becoming God. And guess what? That happens through the tree of gnosis, tree of knowledge and evil in Hollywood or the occult. It happens through tarot cards or through astrologers or through psychic readings or what have you. You realize your divinity, that we're all really God. Oh, and also Satan taught Eve that really you don't die. You shall not surely die. And now in the New Age movement, they teach what? There's no death. 
It's just reincarnation. Don't worry. Death isn't, you're just going to come back as something else. And a lot of these Hollywood people say, well, I was princess so-and-so in a past life. Nobody's like the janitor, you know, or, or, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's a princess or a prince or something, you know? It's like, there's only so many princes and princesses to go around, prince and princesses to go around. Isn't that true? You know, it's like, it doesn't make sense to me. And it didn't. The Bible says it's appointed man wants to die, but after this, the judgment, amen? That's right. So we want to make sure we're right with God. So he uses these things, but it's interesting. When he uses craftiness, he's trying to bring them to a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit, because Satan doesn't want people to be saved. He hates us. He hates God. He hates the idea that we could be saved. And he wants to lead us astray. He wants to bring many people down with him as possible. Now, we've talked about a different Jesus even in this talk with what some of the religions teach, cults and so forth, world religions, uh, different gospel. But we've talked about different gospel many times, different gospel in Galatians, work salvation. But what about this different spirit? And I wanted to emphasize, because what I found very interesting is the world religions outside of Christianity, they deny the Trinity. They deny the Holy Spirit as God. And even the cults, pretty much unanimously, virtually unanimously, all the cults pretty much deny that the Holy Spirit is God. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because, and by the way, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Amen? He's the Spirit of truth. In fact, the Holy Spirit inspired the writers. It says in 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1 that they were, the writers of the Bible were, were moved along by the Holy Spirit. He was moving them along to write scripture, amen? That's awesome. And the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know, God breathed the word of God. Paul says God breathed. Okay, theo, neustos, it's a, actually a, a compound of theos, which is the word for God, right? And then breathed, right? He breathed his word. He, he communicated his word through, through men, well, the Bible, you know, men wrote the Bible. Well, I can tell you right now, I can say my pen wrote this. Well, my, my computer, because I typed a lot of stuff out, and then I copy, my, I, I circle my notes and stuff, because if I come up here and I don't circle my notes, because I don't like to look at my notes too much, so I circle things, so I just need to look down a little bit. I don't want to stare at the notes too long. And uh, so I can say, well, somebody say, well, you didn't write it, your pen wrote it. Oh, you're right, my pen did write it, but... It had some help. I pushed it along. Well, the prophets and the apostles, right? They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, who is the Holy Spirit? As Christians, and it's important to understand this, because sometimes when I hear Christians define the Holy Spirit, they get it all wrong. Or they define who God is or the Trinity, right? You know, we Christians, and they talk about the Holy Spirit as though, or they talk about God as though he's just one person. Just one person. And that's a heresy called modalism. Like the oneness Pentecostals. They don't, are not considered a Christian church or considered a cult. The oneness Pentecostals because they deny the distinct persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They deny there's three persons. As Christians, we believe the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. That word was coined, by the way, by Tertullian, who was the first one to use that, one of the early church fathers. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Yeah, the word Bible is not in the Bible, but the Bible still exists. Amen? 
Uh, so the Bible is a word that describes these books, 66 books, amen? 70, if you count the book of Psalms, it's five books. Now it's interesting because the Christian doctrine of the Trinity is that is the unity of three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons as the one Godhead, one God sharing the same essence. The Bible uses the word akkad. Uh, my wife and I are two people, but we're married, and the Bible says the two will become one flesh. We share the same humanity. Amen? Well, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit same, share the same essence of deity. Do you understand? The, the three of them are the one true God. And it's interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of ways it's, you know, analogies are used, you know. Uh, you know, uh, St. Patrick, so-called, right? He was, by the way, he wasn't a Roman Catholic. He, was, he wasn't, uh, some say, oh, he was Catholic. He was actually, before the Roman Catholic Church was actually really going as a institution. Uh, but that could be debated. But he used the three-leaf clover as a, as a picture of the Trinity, you know? And every human illustration is gonna fall to some way or, one way or another. Leah Pirro recently, uh, Joe Pirro was sharing with me a couple weeks ago that she was explaining the Trinity to her friend who wanted to understand the Trinity and said, I don't really understand it. And she said, it's like three-in-one shampoo. You have the cream rinse and the cleansing shampoo and the body wash, three-in-one, and they're all together, but they're three-in-one. <laughs> I thought I never would have come up with that one. That was pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but not perfect. I, I like to use sometimes, and if we had time, we could illustrate it, is you take three candles, right? Three wicks, you put them together, and how many flames do you have? One, but you also have three what? Three candles, right? And they share the same essence. I think that's a really powerful picture because God shares his essence in three persons. And you say, that's kind of hard to get your brain around. It is. It's hard to get my brain around the fact that we are body, soul, and spirit. But we are. Okay, the Bible says, uh, and in fact, it's kind of interesting. It says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? right? And dividing both bone and marrow. Bone and marrow? Well, marrow is part of the bone. But it also can be considered distinct in a way. And dividing soul and spirit, it says. And some people say, well, how's the spirit different than the soul? How's the soul different than spirit? And you'll see, you can go online, and you can see the soul is this, the spirit does this, and so forth. And, and I, don't, I never teach that. You know why? Because it becomes very uh, almost subjective because there's not distinct scripture saying the soul only does this in contrast to your spirit, which does this. In fact, so many of the things with the soul and spirit, suke, right, uh, for soul, and pneuma for spirit in the Greek, the two Greek words for soul and spirit. I'm getting off my notes here with these, just preaching what's coming to my heart right now, just to try to help illustrate this and get you to understand that the soul and the spirit are, can be divided by the word of God, but I can show you where pneuma and suke are used interchangeably through the New Testament. So they're, they're distinct in some way, but they're one in some way. Isn't that a trip? And my wife as human beings are one, Flesh, but we're also distinct. I like to use the, 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 uh, the universe. Universe is one. It's one universe, but it's made up of, and by the way, I think it's a good way to look at things, good way to 
think about things because Paul in Romans chapter one says that creation testifies as to the divine power and the attributes of God. It's a picture of God in different ways in his power. And the universe is three, made up of three. Time, space, and matter, right? And by the way, all those three, three that make the universe are made up of three. Time is made up of past, present, we're in the present, and then there's the future, right? Space, height, depth, and width, amen? And matter, these, these particles were made up of these little atoms you can't see with your eyes, but the atoms are made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Is that a blow mind? And there's three all over the place in nature. It's just like, wow, God, you know? We had an amazing God. So it's interesting, uh, the Christian teaching of the triune Godhead, the, the, the Trinity, is that, uh, I'll give you five points along these lines. There are three distinct persons within the triune Godhead, and the Holy Spirit, since we're emphasizing the Holy Spirit being God, is one of those persons. That the Holy Spirit is distinct, number two, from the Father and the Son. Number three, the Holy Spirit is called God throughout Scripture. Uh, number four, he possesses all the attributes, attributes of divinity or deity. Number five, he possesses all the attributes of personhood. Okay? He's not, and that's because so many of the cults teach so many strange things about him. In fact, the Mormons teach that there's a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. That's totally unscriptural, unbiblical. Uh, the oneness Pentecostals, well, Mormons, or the uh, Islam, teaches that the Holy Spirit is a guy named Gabe. No, they teach that the Holy Spirit, they often identify the Holy Spirit as the angel Gabriel. No. Okay, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses view the Holy Spirit as some kind of like some kind of active force, like an impersonal force, not as God and not as a person. Isn't that interesting? How the cults have different Jesuses, different Gospels, but they also have a different spirit. One is Pentecostals. Uh, they teach, and they're rampant. I mean, pray for Jonathan's uh, fellowship over there and, and the other Blessed Hope associations we have with uh, the live stream groups and stuff because they're always under attack. It, but in, in Mexico, one of the greatest threats there is, is the apostolic, so-called apostolic oneness cult or oneness movement or United Pentecostal movement where they deny that the Holy Spirit is, uh, they, they say the Father is the Holy Spirit. There's only one person. It's just the Father but he manifests himself as Jesus. So Jesus is not like a father and son have a relationship as two persons. It's just one person. And he's like a ventriloquist. You know, here's acting as Jesus over here, but it's just really one person. Then he acts as the Holy Spirit. And right now he's acting as the Holy Spirit. Really strange stuff. And by the way, that heresy came about at an Assemblies of God, kind of a retreat kind of thing, where uh, Assemblies of God believes in the Trinity. They're a Pentecostal. They're not United Pentecostal. They're a Pentecostal denomination. And when they were having one of their retreats or, you know, something like that, a camp meetings and stuff, a guy woke up and he's like, you know, Eureka, God's like revealed something new to me. Is that the Holy, that, that there's only one person. There's no Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is, you know, Father is the Holy Spirit and so forth. And and uh, that was considered heresy really quick by the Assemblies of God denomination and all our Christians. And he started a movement and people followed him. You know? 
And I went to and visited, didn't go to, I should say, I visited the United Pentecostal Church here in town years ago called Christian Life Center. And I was there with my wife in the back. We sat in the back and we were dressed in our Sunday best. I was probably dressed nice in this. I probably didn't have a flannel out because it wasn't cold. And, and uh, Lisa was there with me because we went because a, a brother uh, named Willie and his wife wanted to visit it because they had read about it. And I said, yeah, I'll go there with you guys. And we stood in the back and we didn't participate as, you know, but we stood there, listened and, and uh, all of a sudden the pastor started rebuking us, you know, not directly. He started saying things like, you know, because you can't cut your hair as a woman. And as a man, you can't have a beard or any kind of facial hair. Even though Jesus, it says they pulled out his beard, right? Jesus would have been kicked out by that pastor. It's kind of weird, huh? No jewelry and kind of things like that. And dresses have to go down to your, your ankles. It's very legalistic, you know. And he was talking about, you know, no facial hair and stuff like that. I think at that time, I think I just had a mustache. And then I'm like, uh, it didn't take but 30 seconds. Like, is he talking about us? <laughs> like, uh, he didn't win that. He didn't ever read that book, uh, How to Win People or whatever. Uh, whatever that book is. I wouldn't read that either, by the way. Uh, but anyway, and he goes, I'm not talking about you guys in the back. I'm talking about any of you that want to be like them. <laughs> and I was like, wow, man, I'm, I'm dressed pretty nice here, man. And, and, uh, and then I wanted to go up and talk to him afterwards and, uh, you know, share scripture with him because they're so off, you know. And, uh, and all of a sudden, people started doing all these strange things, dancing around, going in circles. And one guy was at the wall freaking out. And, you know, that's where they get that term holy rollers thing, you know, because just way out of order, all, you know, total confusion. And it was just breaking my heart. It was just very strange and weird. And I thought, wow, you know. And this guy thinks we want to become part of this weird scene, you know, I'm like, and, uh, but I thought, man, but it's interesting because even then I knew, because one of those folks had come to our uh, assembly or come to our uh, fellowship with some of us believers and was uh, after that time, and he was one as Pentecostal, and he denied that the Father and the Son, he just, oh, there's just the Father, you know. And I took him to 1 John chapter 2. I said, look at what this says. It says, he that denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist. His eyes got big, you know. And I warned him. I go, you have to have the right Jesus. But they also have a different spirit because for them, the Father is the Spirit. There's no distinction in the personhood between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at the fact that I think it's very clear by the way, it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses, Christadelphians. Praise God, we have an ex-Christadelphian that's been coming to our fellowship and now just loving Jesus uh, last couple years or so. Neat, really neat brother. Uh, but Jehovah's Witnesses, Christadelphians, Unitarians, the Unification Church, uh, also called the Moonies, all these groups teach that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is like just an active, impersonal force. It's totally unbiblical. He's a person. He speaks throughout Scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. I mean, this inactive or impersonal force can have love and all this, but he's not a person, and we get that from him, but he's just a, a force. That would be ridiculous. And over and over again through the book of Acts, you see, and the Holy Spirit said, you know, said, you know separate Barnabas you know, for like a mission trip. He speaks. He says, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, Amen. And Jesus, over and over again, referred to the Holy Spirit as, as, with a personal pronoun. 
when he, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he spoke of him as a person. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, amen? amen. The Bible warns you, don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by wickedness or, or ungodly behavior who lives in us, amen? He's called the Spirit of grace. He's filled with grace, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I gotta get back to my notes. But uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we have really interesting text. It says, and I'm not going to go into it because we've talked about this text recently, but, in a different, but with a different subject matter. But notice in Genesis 3, in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth, but the term God is Elohim. And the I am is plural, although he's God. He's not written, when they write it in English or when the Jews use it, they understand there's only one God. For the Lord thy God is one God. The great Shema of Israel is that there's only one God. So the Jews understood there's only one God. So they had to come to terms with, well, how come he describes himself in some kind of plurality? So people talk about a plurality of majesty and so forth. But uh, if you listen to podcasts we did, I don't know, a couple years ago, we're going through typology. I show the Hebrew language supports that there's more than one person there. Let us make man in our image, he goes on to say. We know the angels, the Bible says God created everything in Isaiah by himself. So we know the angels didn't do anything when he's saying us. Who's there? Well, we know Jesus is there with the Father. John chapter 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was beginning with God. And all things were made by him and through him all things were made and nothing was made but by him. So God made everything through Jesus and Jesus made everything in the two. Let us make man in our image. But it wasn't just those two. We know that God says, he sent forth his spirit, it says in Isaiah, and Psalms, and Job, you have scriptures like this, and they were created. And also in Genesis 1, the first few verses, while God's creating, and he says, let there be light, and Jesus, by the way, is the light, amen? And the who was hovering over the waters? The Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. And that word hovering is a word that's used like for an eagle flying. Who's hovering over the waters? The whole Godhead was involved in the creation the whole Godhead was involved in Jesus' resurrection. In Galatians, it says the Father rose Jesus from the dead. In Gospel of John, chapter 2, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they freaked out. Man, it took all these 46 years to make, build this temple, and you're going to destroy it and raise it up in three days. And, and then it says, he spoke of the temple of his what? Of his body. Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. So he said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. So we know the Father in Galatians rose up Jesus, but here we see Jesus said he'd raise himself up. But then when you go to the book of Romans, we see that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Isn't that interesting? All three of them involved in creation. All three of them are involved in Jesus' resurrection. All three of them, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all involved in our salvation so it's just really interesting when you, you look at these different texts. Uh, and, and just and staying with the Old Testament, you know my favorite text to show the Trinity in the Old Testament? Uh, and I think this is one you might want to mark down, maybe dog ear that page or circle that, you know, or maybe, you know, underline each person, is go to Isaiah chapter 48. Take a Jehovah Witness here. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 48. And when you get there, uh, go ahead and just, Look at verse 12 first. Now, before you get there, keep in mind, over and over again, God's revealed himself as the first and last. In Isaiah 44, 6, prior to getting here, uh, that's where you get that wonderful passage, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, two persons. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and last, beside me there is no God. 
Wow, that's powerful. He's the only God, but there's two persons that appears to be saying that. And we know who one of the, we know God the Father is the first and last, but guess what? Jesus is too. Because we know in Isaiah 43.10, it says, uh, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Before me, there no God. Before me there is no God for me, neither shall there be after me. There's only one God, right? But in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, even though Jesus existed in the form of God, well, wait a minute, before him there was no God for me, neither was after him. Yeah, that's because Jesus is God. It says, although he existed in the very form of God, or as I think the NIV has it, in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and became a man. He could have just stayed with the Father as one, as God, in the form of God. But he remained God as the great I am. But he also took upon, he emptied himself of all the worship and the, and that was taking place in heaven. And he became a man. He became the God-man. Amen? And that's why he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him because him being a man, they thought, claiming to, claim to be God. Well, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Because God revealed himself to Moses. Who do I say sent me? Tell my am that I am has sent you. Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. He's God. So it gets really heavy because when you look at this and who's the first and last, we go to Revelation. You don't have to turn there, but chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, John the apostle is seeing Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, right? His face shining like the, the sun in his noonday, and his eyes as flame of fire, right? With seven stars in his right hand. And his, his, you know, waist girded about with paps with this, you know, bronze. It's just amazing. And then uh, John freaks out and falls down because it's, it's just so bright. This is after, when John's on the Isle of Patmos to receive the book of Revelation. He's there because he's persecuted. He's put there by the emperor Domitian. And Jesus puts his right hand upon him and says, fear not. Right? Remember what he said? He said, fear not. He said, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. It's obviously Jesus. And behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of death and of Hades. So Jesus is the first and the last. And by the way, we've just been looking at Revelation 22, 12. Last Sunday, right? And in Revelation chapter 22, 12, do you remember? He says, I come quickly, my reward is with me. Remember that? Well, right after that, he says, I'm the very next verse, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Now, we know who's speaking in verse 12. I come quick, my reward is with me. That's Jesus, amen? The very next verse, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So we know, he's, we know Jesus is the first and the last. Now, look at chapter 48, verse 12 of Isaiah which I'd already had you turn to. Check this out. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the what? I am the first. I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I called to them, they stand together. Now drop down, because this gets really powerful, to verse 16. We have the Lord talking. He says, come near to me, Jesus Come near to me, listen to this. From this, I have not spoken in secret. From this time, it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me. Woo! The one who says he's the first and last. The one who said he created everything says the Lord God, right, has sent me. But not, notice this, it's not just the Father and the Son now. What, look what it says. And now the Lord God has sent me and his what? His spirit, amen. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, that's all in one verse, in verse 16. I just backed up to establish that the one who's talking is not Isaiah, it's God, right? That's powerful. Now go to Matthew chapter three, we go to the New Testament. And from the very get-go, we see Jesus is God, not only in John 1, but in the first chapters of Matthew, you know, just like Mark, you know, you get the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, right? Jesus is the one they're preparing the way for, and he's called Yahweh. Then in John chapter 3, notice all three persons being spoken of at Jesus' baptism. Verse 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. By the way, that's why one reason we don't believe in sprinkling, right? Because he came up out of the water, from the water, you know? Uh, and behold, the heavens were opened. So you have Jesus, and he saw the what? He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning, and lighting on him. Verse 17. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved what? Son, in whom I am well pleased. So verses 16 and 17, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's three persons. Very clearly. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And let's just look at the very end. You got the Great Commission. In verse 18, Jesus says, All power in heaven and earth is given to me, or all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. I think the word there is not dunamis, which is often translated power. It speaks of God's dynamic power. But I think it's exousia, or the word that has to do with his authority there. And then he says, you know, go into all the world, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's check this out. Verse uh, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the what? Does it say names? No, it doesn't say names in the Greek either. It's singular. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's powerful. That one name, one name unites all three divine persons. It's powerful. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians. Well, go to 1 Corinthians since it comes first and it'll make it a little easier to just keep going. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's interesting because we always speak of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This actually has the Spirit first mentioned. And those three persons are mentioned within the span of a few verses. Chapter 12, verse 4. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same what? The same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same who? Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And this is almost like a formula throughout First and Second Corinthians. It's quite interesting. In fact, go to Second Corinthians chapter 1. It's a few pages to your right. Second Corinthians chapter 1. And I think it's interesting when we get there, go ahead and look at verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anoint us is God. Verse, so you got Christ, you got God the Father. Verse 22, who also sealed us and gave us the what? Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit again. You know, I think that's just super cool. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We have another Trinitarian text, and this one is a, a text of a blessing. Chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 
14, the very last verse, look how Paul signs off here. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's Jesus, and the love of God, he's distinguished from Jesus, so he's speaking of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So we've seen over and over and over again now in Corinthians, and I love that. That's how these two uh, letters end. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Very, very beautiful. Very, very amazing. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says that we are chosen, quote, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That's a really nice one, huh? That shows you how all three persons are involved in our salvation, amen? Let me read that again since I'm not having you look at that. It says that we're chosen, quote, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to, or the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Now we know the three of them are one, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we also know that they share the same attributes. And one reason we know that Jesus is God because he shares the same attributes, attributes that we as humans don't share. None of us is omnipresent here. Anybody omnipresent here? No. Nobody's omniscient here, all-knowing, amen? No one has immortality in the sense of being from everlasting to everlasting either here, amen? Well, uh, those things are used of Jesus and the Father, but what about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit has divine attributes. We see, we've already seen his, his omnipotence in creation, amen? He's all-powerful. He's the creator along with the Father and the Son. But he's also eternal, as immortality. Hebrews 9.14 speaks of him as the eternal. Hebrews 9.14, as the eternal spirit. And 1 Timothy 6.16 says that only God possesses immortality. Yet the Holy Spirit does. That's because he is God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we see his omniscience that he is all-knowing. We read, For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Isn't that interesting? And when we talk about ourselves as body, soul, and spirit, here's, it's, it's drawn an interesting parallel between us and our spirit, right? And my spirit is distinct from my body, but I'm one, right? And God is distinct from the Father, God the Spirit, and Jesus. And I'm not saying there's an exact correlation. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all because I think there's a huge mystery with the Holy Spirit. And if you could understand exactly how this all works, well, you'd probably be God and you're not God and I'm not God, amen? Just like it's hard to understand how can space continue forever and then eventually stop? How could it, where's the wall? How does it stop? What's on the other side? Can there be nothing on the other side? But isn't nothing, I mean, it's just a messes with your brain, you know? It starts to hurt after a while. You try to think through those things like, well, I'm not going to know figure it out, and I'm not going to be the guy that figures it out. But uh, it, the secret things belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29, what he's revealed belongs to the sons of men. So he reveals things about who he is, and we need to be thankful because he's given us a lot more wisdom than monkeys and ants and, right, and giraffes and so forth. It's interesting, though, because we also see in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, listen to this, verse 13 and 14. We, we read about how the Spirit of God knows everything there is to know. 
It says, quote, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor who has informed him? With whom did he consult? And who gave him, that is the spirit of the Lord, understanding? And who taught him in the path, uh, in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? I love Psalm 1, chapter 139, verses 7 through 9, or 7 through 10. By the way, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Tony, if you're watching, Cheryl, we love you guys. Missed you guys already over there in Tennessee. But uh, Tony memorized Psalm 139, and he, I had, he, had, he said it to me straight out one time. It was just so beautiful, so powerful. Memorizing Scripture is so important, guys. You guys, man, you're having trouble sleep. Memorize the Word of God. Then you're growing while you're, then you fall asleep. Satan will try to put you to sleep then. Don't say, oh, good. I want Satan to put you to sleep. No, well, they don't want that either. But memorize the Word of God when you're driving or just um, don't, not long portions and read them. I've done that before. It's like, whoa, you know. But memorize Scripture when you're just throughout your day. You're like waiting in traffic. Memorize the Word of God, man. It trans and pray, God, minister to me by your Word. And man, it, make, it just blesses your day because you grow in Christ while you're waiting in traffic. Amen? And you get to know the Lord more because you're praying, Lord, speak to me. And the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God. Amen? So as you get in the Word, you're able to get close to the Lord. And when you're doing, going through your day, there's parts of your day where you don't have to use your brain as much as other parts. Some of you are like, no, I have to use my brain all day because I'm working with numbers constantly. Well, there's times where you're taking a shower. There's times where maybe you're driving. There are times where you're just, you know, relaxing. You can be memorizing the Word, which is inspired, written by the Holy Spirit. God, the creator of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, inspired this book. And his word is living, it's alive. And when you memorize his word, man, it, there's, he, says my, I, I get, he says, my word, right, is spirit and life. My words are spirit and life. Amen? Now, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit is also omnipresent. He's not also, not just omnipotent, all-powerful, which is amazing, right? He's not only eternal, which we've seen, but uh, he's also with immortality. He's not only uh, omni, omnipresent and et eternal and so forth, but uh, an all knowledge with omniscience. We've talked about all three of those attributes, but he's also omnipresent. Listen to Psalm 139, verse seven and following. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, you know. He's all these wonderful things. But he's also very clearly called God. So you have, the Bible says there's one God, but over and over again, Jesus is called God, the Father is called God, and the Holy Spirit is called God. So that means these three persons make up the one God. Now it's interesting, where is, well, here's a real clear example, go to the book of Acts. It'd be a good place to take a Jehovah Witness if you're talking to them and you're trying to give them light, or you're talking to a new Christian just trying to understand, get them to understand the Holy Spirit is God. Take them to what happened with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a, a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So he says this, he has his property, he sells it, and he takes a portion of that money, he lays it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have uh, conceived this deed in your heart? 
You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, what's happening here, and it's important, is it's not as though he sold land, he had to give it all to the church. Because it was in his power, it belonged to him. And he gave a portion of the, 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 the proceeds that came from the sale of land to the church, which was, you know, he, he lied about it. He said, this was everything I got for the land. I'm giving it to you guys. So it was hypocrisy. He was trying to make himself look more generous than he was. He was lying. But notice, we read very clearly, verse 3, follow carefully, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? To the Holy Spirit. And to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, right? It, it, not, it was your own, he basically says, and after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? God. Well, wait. He's saying they didn't lie to men, but they lied to God. But earlier he said he lied to who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen? So, I mean, there's, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, you want to go there. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We know that. Uh, uh, first, go, to, if he, uh, go there to 1 Corinthians 3.16. But in 1 Corinthians 6.19, you don't have to go there. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? But listen, to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. We read this. Do you not know that you are the temple? You are a temple of who? Of God, and that the what? Spirit of God dwells in you. We're a temple of God. That means we're God's temple because what? The Holy Spirit lives in us. Amen. By the way, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22 says, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I love that. So there's all these clear evidences in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, one of the ones that people don't usually use uh, or I think you should consider that's really powerful is the very act of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the worst sin someone could commit. It's an unpardonable sin. And we read about it in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. I'll read it to you. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the, the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Wow. And in Mark chapter 3, I believe verses 28 and 29, you know, uh, Jesus said, all matter of sin shall be forgiven the sons of men, and, and blasphemy is whatsoever they shall blaspheme, and he that speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But he that speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this world or the world to come. And then the, the verse 29 says, because they said that he had a demon. So what was happening is, who's the one that draws us to Jesus? Who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment? Amen, Jim, the Holy Spirit. He draws us to Jesus. Jesus says, if you don't believe my words, believe my miracles. He was doing his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 10. He says he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, whereby he went and did healings and so forth. Now he's God, but he relied as he became the God-man and is, he, as, as the, the man, Jesus, and he's God as well, the God-man, but he's relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to do these miracles. That's very clear in Acts 10 and other scriptures. 
And it says he went about doing these works by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does these miracles. In John 10, these miracles were done. If you look at John chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, amen? That you might have life in his name. It talks about how the miracles were done to confirm who he is. By the way, that shows you that God wants people that don't even follow him. Jesus says, walk in the light while you have the light with you. Because the light will not always be with you. That you may become children of light. And he was giving them light. He enlightens the heart of everyone that comes to the world, John 1, 9. Beautiful, beautiful passages. Yet the Holy Spirit will convict them. He'll woo them. He'll speak to their hearts, showing them that they're sinners. And even doing miracles, showing Jesus who Jesus is. But some people will reject him. Obviously, many people. And why do they reject him? Jesus said in John chapter 3, this is the condemnation because they loved darkness more than light and their deeds were evil and they refused to come to the light lest their deeds would be exposed. But he that comes to God does so to show that his deeds are done in God. So a lot of people don't want to come to the light of Christ because they don't want to give up being evil. They don't want to give up being their own God, doing their own thing. They want to just, hey, it's about me. You know, sad because they don't hold the keys to life. They can't get beyond the grave and they'll be separated from God forever. That's why we love people, we pray for people, amen? But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit, why is blasting the Holy Spirit the unpardonable sin? I believe because he's the agent that brings people to Christ. And if you blaspheme him, right, that means any light he's seeking to bring you would be rejected. And that's why it says in Hebrews chapter three, it warns believers who are being hardened in their hearts by the deceitfulness of their sin, that they would not harden their hearts and no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, it says. Wow. It says, don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness when they provoked me. He says, holy brethren, he warns them, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Verses, the first early verses and then verse 12. See to it, brethren, that there's not in any of you a, you know, uh, it talks about a heart of, you know, that is deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and falling away from the living God. And then in Hebrews 10, he says, if we, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, rebel against him, go on sinning, say, I want nothing to do with Jesus now. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful looking for a fire and indignation which will consume the adversaries of God. It says if they were put to death under two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment will that be? Now what's interesting, I bring up that text, even I referenced that recently, uh, because you know what he says right after that? He says they trample underfoot the blood of Christ that sanctified them, and they insult the spirit of grace. There's a real warning for believers not to insult the spirit of grace and not to harden your hearts against the Holy Spirit. And that begins by grieving him by being in sin, and grieving him is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but if you keep hardening your heart, and then you turn away from the Lord, and then you start speaking against the Lord. You start speaking against the Holy Spirit. Well, how can you be saved? The very one that draws you to Christ, you're rejecting. Do you understand that? So if someone did that one time, like the Pharisees did in Matthew chapter 12, it's all over forever? No, because if you go to, go to Matthew chapter 12, we're not going to go there because we're not studying that doctrine so much, but I wanted to say some things about it is right after he warns them and says, and they just did it, they said, You're that's the devil doing these miracles. Because they need an excuse. Notice they're saying, well, they're not really miracles. They realize these are real miracles. They've got to explain them away. What well, must be the devil? Because they didn't want to give up the racket. And there was a racket going on with the religious leaders. I mean, that's why Jesus turned over the tables in, in the temple, amen? 
And, but right after that, he says to them, he that's not with me is against me, Matthew 12, 30. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. And I shared this with a, a, a guy that used to come to this church off and on. I knew him from years before this church. We started Blessed Hope, and Blessed Hope we started over 30 years ago now. And I shared this because he said he committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and there was no hope for him. But he'd come and sit in the back sometimes. And my heart broke for him. But there wasn't clear evidence that he really wanted to follow the Lord. But I talked to him different times throughout his, when I'd see him and prior to this, he'd become a fellowship. And uh, I told him that, I said, if I was you, even if I felt like I couldn't be saved, I would still do my best to turn to follow Jesus because you have one life, man. And I would make sure I'd do the best I could to try to be right with God, you know, turn to him and try to depend on his grace. And he's like, Joe, if I could eat a pile of manure, he used different language this high to get saved, I would, but I committed the unpardonable sin. And he said it's because when he was in uh, prison, he did a ritual, did all the rituals in the satanic Bible you find against God. He said, but there was nothing against the Holy Spirit. So I did a ritual against the Holy Spirit, a satanic ritual. And he said, I felt God rip out of me. And he said, I went crazy because I didn't think he was with me. And I felt this ripping out of me. And then he said, I went crazy. And, and they, I've been on medication ever since, this guy says. And, um, and, uh, and I told him, you know, the next time I saw him, I said, hey, I've got a scripture for you. Took Matthew 12, where it talks about blasting the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told the very Pharisees who just did it and said, it's the devil doing these things. A few verses later, Jesus says to them, either make the tree good or evil. He gives them an opportunity still to get right. And I believe the reason it becomes unpardonable is because you don't get pardoned if you refuse. Because Jesus says, died for all sins, Amen. It says, he, uh, he, he, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, it's unpardonable because you can't be pardoned if you refuse to repent. You have to repent. And if you harden your heart against the Holy Spirit and his voice and don't want to hear him anymore, that's a place where you'll just be lost forever. Because eventually, you're no longer going to hear him because your heart's become so calloused, you know? And don't, be careful, man. Stay away from sin. Hate sin, man, with a passion. Love righteousness, right? Don't let your heart get hard toward the Lord. And I know we go through various temptations. We all face temptations and all these different things that the enemy throws at us. But the Bible says, walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, amen? Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's just amazing. But I mentioned the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit here. You go, what does this have to do with Jesus being, or the Holy Spirit being God? Because it'd be really hard to believe huh, that if the Holy Spirit's not God, that you could blaspheme Jesus and be forgiven, but the unpardonable sin is blaspheming this impersonal force. That makes no sense, amen? But it's just another evidence that we're speaking of him being God here. And by the way, and really some other cool evidences that are really, this one I just love is Isaiah chapter six. Remember when the Lord, when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up? In chapter five of Isaiah, he's pronouncing woe on everybody. You know, he's the prophet. Woe to those, you know, who take other people's lands. Woe to those who rise up early in the morning and get drunk. And whoa, whoa, whoa. And then all of a sudden, the next chapter, he goes and he sees the temple. God gives him a vision. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, right? And he sees the seraphim angels flying and they're, they're fiery ones because they're in the presence of the God who's a consuming fire. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. 
and they're just worshiping him. Well, it's interesting because listen to what happens there in Isaiah 68. Then I heard a voice. Remember that one of the angels takes, a, 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 takes his tongs and takes a, a, a coal from the altar and flies down and just puts it on Isaiah's mouth because he's a man of unclean lips. And he says, I'm undone, I'm ruined. And he takes his sin away. And then Isaiah says, in verse 8, same chapter, Isaiah 6, right after that. Then I heard a voice from the Lord saying, notice what he says. Then I heard a voice from the Lord. Who's this voice from? The Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive and their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and so forth. And what's happened is this is what we call this judicial hardening. When you get so consumed in an idol and you turn away from God, and you refuse to come back, eventually he gives you over to it. And these guys were giving themselves over to the idols. And God said, repent, repent. And they would not repent. In Isaiah 1, long before this, he talks about how sickly the people became with their sin. And they refused to repent. And guess what? He said, if you worship these idols, you'll become like them. So just like they became hard, those idols were hardened and blind and couldn't hear, you're going to become like that. So God's saying, I'm going to remove my grace from you. Well, why do I, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit being God? Because who is the one that says this to Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And these other things I just read, right? Well, go to Acts chapter 28. Go to Acts chapter 28. Go to verse 25. Acts 28, 25. And Paul, in the book of Acts, we read of what happened with him when he was sharing. And when they did not agree with one another... They began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. This is what Paul says. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father, saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing and will not, pursue, uh, will not perceive. Now, in Isaiah, it says, who said this to Isaiah? The Lord, Yahweh. Here it says, who said it? Paul says, the Holy Spirit said it. Amen. Who was it? the Godhead, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you're, if you're in Acts 28, and you look at verse 27, for the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And now notice what it says. Did God, make it, did God blind them? No, it says, and they what? They have closed their eyes. Sometimes our Reformed brothers and sisters will say, oh, look, God wants to blind people. He doesn't want them to be saved. No, this is in theology called judicial hardening. These were people that continued to reject him, were refusing to turn to him, and then he gives them over to their blindness. And it says, they close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. So Paul directly cites Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. And Paul says the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet. But we read in the book of Isaiah, it clearly states the quoted words are coming from the Lord Yahweh. Amen? And by the way, when this situation or what happened in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who's the Lord God Almighty they're saying that about? Well, John in John chapter 12, verse 
41 says this, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Jesus is Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Amen? That's John 12, 41. Wait, I thought this was about the Holy Spirit being God. Hey, that's a bonus scripture about Jesus being God. Okay? Because we're in this, it's just, to me, it's just all so powerful, all so beautiful. And one of the, the premise of the Gospel of John is that Jesus is God. Amen? We get the word, the word, the word was with God, the Word was God, right? And, and then you go to the very end of the Gospel of John, what do you see? Thomas, I won't believe unless I stick my fingers in his wounds. Jesus is like, here, Thomas, stick in my side too, right? And Thomas like falls down, the Lord of me, the God of me, because that's the point. Jesus is God, amen? And as we celebrate Christ's birth this time of year, uh, recognize that he, God, became a man, amen, to dwell among us in the incarnation and to give himself for us, amen? But also recognize that we have the Holy Spirit as believers. And anybody, anybody who's trusting Jesus for their salvation right now and you've come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that to the Corinthians that you've all been baptized into one spirit, amen? By one spirit into the body of Christ. And Paul says that we all, as Christians, have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you fathers being evil, he said to his disciples, if your children ask you for a, you know, something to eat, you know, a piece of fish or what have you, you won't give them a, a stone or a scorpion, right? Or, or a serpent. He says, how much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for him? Amen. Isn't that powerful? How much more? And I love that because God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, we read that Paul states very clearly in chapter three, he prays that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the, for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But we can keep ourselves from being filled. Now, we're talking about the God who made us, amen, in his image, wants to not only live in us, if you're trusting Jesus, he lives in you, amen, but he wants to fill you. Paul commanded us in Ephesians 5.18, remember that scripture? Be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? amen. What could be better than be filled with God, Amen. Because the fullness of God's presence brings the joy and the closer we have, we are the Lord, the more we're filled with the Lord, the more joy we have, the more love we have, the more peace we have, amen? First of all, if you're not a Christian, I feel bad for you. Why would you, you're separated from God and it's gonna get darker and darker for you and you're gonna be separated forever when you die because you're lost. You don't have a relationship with God. You're not saved. So you're gonna be eternally lost in outer darkness forever and ever, devoid of the spirit, devoid of companionship, not even having people around that love you. You're gonna be just in outer darkness where there's weeping, Jesus said, gnashing the teeth. So the first thing is we need to make sure we're saved, amen? amen. We need to make sure that we recognize that we're sinners, that we deserve death. We cry out to God and say, have mercy on me and, and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? And what's the gospel? I was asked recently in an interview, Joe, what's the gospel? Another interview, I go, well, the Greek word is euangelion, and it means good news in the Greek. And I said, you can't understand the good news until you first understand the bad news. The bad news is that we all are criminals. We all, our consciences bear witness that we're doomed without God, man. <laughs> and we're without hope in this world. But guess what? The good news is that, and I mentioned, I, I mentioned this in the interview, that we're in double trouble, but God has a double cure. And the double trouble is this, that we are sinners, we're, we're guilty, man. And number two, we have these rotten, sinful natures that are bent toward evil. And I said, praise God, the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, the gospel, 
through what Jesus has done, has rectified that situation, whereby we can now be reconciled with God, amen? We can be forgiven because Jesus said to telestai, and I mentioned what that was about, forgiven, right? To telestai, it is finished that he paid for our sins on the cross so we could be forgiven of all of our sins and we could, could be no longer under condemnation. That's what it means. To be justified means to be no longer condemned, not condemned. And not only that, not only we're not condemned because of our sin, which we deserve because he took it, but now we, that, that sinful nature becomes transformed as the Holy Spirit comes into our life, amen? And now, guess what? We can have the fruit of the Spirit as partakers of the divine nature. We don't become divine because those are incommunicable attributes like omnipresence and omniscience, right? Right? Are not ours and they never shall be ours because there's God's alone, amen? But the communicable attributes whereby we've been made in his image where we can reflect his love, right? His joy, his peace, amen? That's the divine nature we partake of. The, we're made in the image as human beings and the divine one lives in us, the Holy Spirit. We're never divine, but he lives in us and we can bear the fruit of the Spirit and we can be transformed and our hearts become transformed. Not only are we forgiven, but we become new creations in Christ and then we have desire to please God and live for him, amen? And he continues to transform us from glory to glory until that special day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, amen? And then we're gonna be fully like him minus the deification. We'll never become God, but we'll be children of God forever and ever, amen? What a beautiful love story, man, that God gave himself for us. So turn to Christ now while there's still time. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior. Be filled with his Holy Spirit. Have a relationship with God, amen? I mean, why would you not want that? And if you already have that, praise God. And guess what? I want more of God, amen? And we already have, I mean, we're, God's already in us, so how we get more of God? Well, really, God gets more of us, Amen? So as Gerald was singing, we were leading us in worship, we sing, you know, you know, take more of me, Lord. Forget the exact words he was using, but that was basically, it was beautiful. Surrender to the Lord, amen. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they'd recognize how much you love them and how you want them to know you and have eternal life. For Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, whom, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And Father, I pray that people just crouch you right now if they don't know you whether it's here in the audience, in the, in the fellowship, Father, or it's by way of the, the uh, live stream, or somebody listening later, embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and praise you, Father, that you are God, and your Son is God, and your Spirit is God. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.